welcome to episode two of the PS Football Podcast. My name is Sam Steen, and this week we look at the latest transfers. We look a little more closely at the top six. We talk championship, find out who our JT prick of the week is, and a whole lot more. Joining me on the show are Peter Henry, Scott Bowman, Carl Gwilliam, and making his pod debut, Danny Ward. Let's get on with the show. So last week we started off by talking a lot about transfers and uh, while some have gone through in the meantime, the big deal, well obviously there's the managed deal, but Iheanacho to Leicester, that's a pretty interesting one. Peter, do you want to start us off on that one? Yeah, it seems like a good deal for Leicester, especially the money that's been, been going around this season, £25 million. He's a bit unlucky to be kind of pushed out at City, but yeah, Gabriel Jesus looks a bit special as well. But his his goals to minutes ratio is insane. I think at one stage last season, he's pretty much scored every 90 minutes he's, he'd played. And um, yeah, definitely, definitely an excellent finisher. Uh, interesting to see how he works with Vardy. Um, you know, Vardy does well kind of up front on his own. So it'll be interesting to see how they fit him into the team. But I definitely, yeah, he's he's... He's Premier League proven, as we discussed last week. Um, give him a run of games, and I'd be very surprised if he doesn't score a hat full of uh, a hat full of goals. West Ham were in from I don't know Scott. Why? What happened there? Because it looked like he was going to go there earlier on in the in the transfer window as well. Um, from reports that I read, and I was gutted that he didn't come to us. Um, but Man City put this sort of deal in place, or they wanted to put a deal in place where they could buy him back in two years if he's ah, accepted. Right, yeah. And and uh, fair play to Sullivan Gold, who I don't often give credit to. They I think they pushed that back. I went, well, that's ridiculous. So you get to just take a player back at a whim if you think he's doing the business, especially with Aguero, because he'll be advanced in years. I sort of think I would have loaned him out maybe, but to, to have sold him in any fashion, not something I would have done. Well, to be honest, I think, again, I'm not really sure why Spurs didn't make the most of him as part of the Walker deal, if I'm honest, because the fact when you consider we are looking for that backup to Kane, he could have been an ideal player to come in there and, you know, different to Janssen is the fact that he's got some form of record in the Premier League. So I was quite disappointed we didn't try and push through some sort of agreement with him there for the Carl Walker deal because as much as they may have wanted to have a buyback clause, to be honest, if City are winning stuff in two years' time, whether they've got a buyback clause or not, if they want to buy a player, they'll they'll try to buy him. But yeah, I think we could have we could have done a bit more there. Danny, anything to add on that one? Yeah, um, yeah, I kind of agree with all, everything the lads are saying. I think uh, a lot of clubs would have liked to take a pop at him. To be honest, a couple of months before the end of the season, it looked like Sturridge was probably going to leave Liverpool, and this kid was a guy I've been looking at for a while and thinking. I like the look of him a lot. I think uh, he scores a lot of goals. Uh, he doesn't get the minutes he probably deserves. He mightn't have the all-round game that, you know, someone like a, a Gabriel Jesus has, but he scores goals and he scores them at a great rate. And I would have definitely taken a pop at him at Liverpool. Now, I, I'm obviously going to be wearing my Liverpool cap when I'm talking about these sorts of things, but I would have given, I would have taken a pop on him. And for 25 million, I, that's absolute peanuts. And uh, I think I think if he stays fit all season, if he strikes up a bit of a relationship with Verdi, I think there's 20 goals in the kit, and that, that's Premier League goals. I think he, I think there's goals in him. The thing is, if they keep him as well, 
he's your replacement for Varley. He's, he's got youth on his side. Yeah. And if he does get those runner games and he scores goals, he's going to get better and better. And he, he could be one of those beast strikers that you get in the division that's just going to become superb and from a West Ham perspective, really absolutely guide. It's funny. It seems like everybody would have him at their club. City, you know, he hasn't had a run in the team. Peter, does it say something about their youth system that they're not bringing these players through? They've spent all this money building an, an incredible kind of uh, facility and training ground and, and youth system. They brought in Pep, who I guess they planned would bring through people like he did at Barca and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, it's, it's all got to do with the, the pressure of, of needing instant results, which every club is in that kind of scenario at the moment. Um, remember they sacked Mancini a few years ago, they said about a holistic approach and bringing players through and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you know, if maybe if there's a couple of other young players, look, there's one very good young player called Jaden Sancho, who I think we'll get on to later, who's, who's looking to move from City because of a lack of first team opportunities. Um, but it just seems that maybe if, if they had, a, if Pep had been more successful in his first year, he might've been able to ease a few youngsters in, in a, from a position of strength. But as we, we said last week as well, he's under so much pressure now that he, he can't be taking chances on kids. Although, having said that, the guy who would probably take Ian Acho's place is only a 20-year-old as well in, in Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, I think it's difficult for any of the big clubs to, uh, to bring players through at the moment because for a manager, you, you know, a couple of bad results and you're out in your ear. So taking the chance on kids is just something that a lot of managers just don't seem to be willing to do. And it's kind of understandable as well, you know. I, th- I think there's a bit of a, I think with uh, with Guardiola, he seems to like someone, the reason, remember a couple of months ago, there was a bit of talk that Aguero might go because Jesus, he was the guy for him. He works, he works his bollocks off. And I don't think Ian Acho does to the, in the same way. I don't think he, I don't think he runs around and puts in a shift as much. He will get your goals, granted, but I don't think he puts in the shift the same as someone like a Roberto Firmino or a, or even a Jesus or something like that. So I think that's probably why it was an easy enough decision for uh, Guardiola to get rid of him. I don't think he, I don't think he felt he could train that into him, maybe. And he just thought, right, okay, he's looking again at someone like a Sanchez maybe to come in as well to just to bolster their already very impressive uh, lineup. And I think that Sanchez he works his bollocks off again. And I think that that's the sort of striker he's looking for because he's got so much threat coming down either side uh, and through the middle with De Bruyne and Silva and all these sorts of players that I think he does need his number nine to really work hard. Um, well, you mentioned how you know it's difficult for some of these managers who are under pressure to give youth and kids a chance. We see at United that Mourinho's brought in Matic, a, a player he knows and a player he trusts, clearly. Uh, Peter, as a United fan, do you think this is a good deal? Yeah, I, I, it's not the most spectacular deal in the world, but I think it's a necessary deal. He's someone who Mourinho knows well. And, you know, Mourinho's had a, gets a bit of stick sometimes for not playing. People say he's a bad record of bringing kids through, but, you know, you've got... It could line up with Luke Shaw, Baihi, Lindelof, Pogba, Marshall, Rashford, all under 20, 20, even Lukaku, all under 25. So I think Matic, it just even in terms of experience, is an important uh, signing. Um, and hopefully he'll give Pogba a bit more of a platform because I don't think Pogba is really the guy who's going to play in a, in a midfield too. He kind of lacks tactical discipline at times. So it'll be interesting to see what formation he goes with Mourinho, but I would imagine Matic will free up Pogba to concentrate in going forward more than having to worry of chasing back so much. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a solid signing for Man United. And uh, I agree with what Peter said. He'll give the freedom for Pogba to play his game. And he'll sweep up. He'll do the he'll do the dirty work. And he'll be a leader on the pitch. And it shows also that Mourinho, not only is he contradictory, but he's also a forgiving man because uh, he was one of the players that fell out, apparently, with Mourinho. And was one of the core reasons that Mourinho was ousted at Chelsea. But obviously a player, as Peter said, that he trusts. And here he is at Man United. And I think that adds to United's season. It gives him that still, that experience, that leadership in the play, uh, on the pitch that he might have been lacking to the point where, for me, they're going to be serious contenders on the basis of that. Good signing. Carl, do you think that puts them in contention? Um, I'm not so sure on this match signing because I'm not really sure why they felt the need to buy a player like that when you've got Herrera and potentially Fellaini in that side. As much as obviously Fellaini's not a world beater... But, I, yeah, I, I find it a strange signing, to be honest. It's it's not one of them that suddenly, to me, it doesn't make me go, whoa, United will be dangerous now. He adds another good option to their squad and a solid option in midfield. But, yeah, I find it a strange signing. I'm not really sure where I sit on that signing, well, say, to though, be honest. It gives it a bit of depth, though. Yeah, but you've got depth in Herrera, Fellaini. They, they can all kind of cover that position kind of Carrick is still there I, I, I find it a bit of an odd one to be honest I think United probably could have gone and got something a little bit a little bit better than that yeah I think what he'll probably do lads is he'll probably play he'll play four at the back and he'll play Herrera and Matic as a two and then three in yeah. front and then one up top that'll that's he's always liked that formation so I think that that'll be I I I sorry I shouted across you there when you mentioned Fellaini as an option as a defensive midfielder. <laughs> fair, fair enough, I think. I read an interesting uh, article the other day that had said that because you met like two or three seasons ago when Chelsea was it two years ago Mourinho's second year when they won the league and Matic was the best the best centre mid in the league that season. And I think it was against Burnley. Do you remember Ashley Barnes bent his yeah. leg back? Yeah, yeah. Attack? There's a lot of Chelsea fans say he's never been the same since that day. Um, and like last season, he was playing with Kante, which is, I think we could all play in a centre midfield partnership with Kante. It must be the easiest job going. So it'll be interesting to see because he, he probably hasn't hit the heights of the, the, the season from a couple of years ago since then. He'll be more the main man this year, I would say, in, in that defensive midfield role, except well, I, 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 maybe Kante. Was yeah, he stole out. He stole all the all the limelight. To be honest, I think. I think. I think. I think he's a great signer for United. I'm actually surprised um, Chelsea let him go to such a rival. Like, if if you're thinking that it's probably going to be between City United, um, City United and Chelsea, I'm surprised they let him go. I know they brought him back. Yoko, he's 22. He's doing well in the French league. It's different gravy. Everyone knows it's different gravy in the Premiership, and I maybe would have said, "All right, let's let's give this kid six months bedding in time, see how he gets on, and if he looks like the real deal, then maybe we can move Matic on. If he doesn't look like the real deal, there might be light numbers there because John Obi and Mikel seems to. Have, I, I don't know where he is anymore. They've got rid of Van Ginkel. They've about nine hundred seventy-four players out on loan. <laughs> He's I left. Know, he left. He left. Did he? Yeah. I don't know when yeah, they can bring him back. But I, I think I think Matic is a cracking signing for them. Uh, be, only because Paul Pogba is a very good player and we all know how good a player he is. Technically, Pogba is the most dangerous sentiment fielder when he's outside his own penalty box. He's trying flicks, tricks. He's trying to do little nutmegs. And he's dangerous there. And the further you get him away from doing that and the further up the field where he can have a better impact, 
I think the better, and I think that'll help. You know, I think Maddich will will definitely make sure that he pushes up. And I do think it'll help United in the long run. Another interesting signing that's gone through is uh, Watford's signing of this Brazilian kid, Richarlison. I don't know, Scott, if you've seen uh, this. He was linked to Chelsea and he was linked to Ajax as well, but he's pitched up at Watford. What do you make of that? Madness. I mean, if he's on a radar like that, you'd expect them to take a dip. But on the up flip side of that, uh, shrewd business probably by Watford, if he can deliver on half the promise and potential he has, uh, the up the big clubs will be looking at him, letting him do the, letting Watford do the the dirty work, it'll be basically like a glorified loan. They'll, they'll surround Watford like sharks waiting to pick off the carcass, whether they go down. But as long as this player performs or shows plenty of promise, then they'll they'll go in for him. So maybe it's a smart move by the bigger clubs to let him go to someone perceived as smaller and pick up experience playing in the Premier League and see how he gets on. Uh, and and acclimatises culturally at the same time. If that happens then there's no doubt that if a player like that reaches potential, he'll be leaving shortly after he's joined. Yeah, Carl, it probably makes sense, doesn't it? Because if he's gone to Chelsea, as uh, as Daddy was saying, chances are he's out on loan next year and disappears and we never hear from him again. But he's at Watford, he's in the shop window, and uh, and it's a good point that he could well find himself at a bigger club in, in 18 months or even next season. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart move, isn't it, for all parties. He he gets to play regular football at Watford now. And and as Scott said, you know, the big clubs, it, it's not a problem for those sort of big clubs, is it? If, if, this, if he turns it on and suddenly looks a real special player, then they'll just take him when they want him. But that, and for them, it's smart because they don't take the first risk of taking him and suddenly finding that he flops. You know, so yeah, that's a smart move all round for those those guys. And if he takes off as his potential shows he might do, then he could be he could be a special player. And also, just to add to that, with Watford, what will happen with them if he does fulfil the promise? They'll enter into bidding wars with, between the big clubs, and it's like you see him with the likes of Mbapp. Uh, and this Vincius Junior and all these other youth and young players that are doing well, they'll enter a bidding war and then Watford can go, well, we're coming in. Maybe we go and buy another youth player. Uh, maybe yeah. we go and buy established players. It just plays into their hands as well. It's a win-win for everyone. I I actually heard he was a Watford fan. Always has been. Always will be. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And he's a horn until he dies. That's what I heard. But I don't know what you lads are hearing. But, uh, that was Elton John, yeah. Uh, we was best mate time. with him. He used to go to his after parties, I think. Someone said something about uh, it's less risk for the big teams. The big teams don't take the big uh, don't take the risks on these sorts of players, and they don't. It's like a kind of farmyard where they go out to the smaller clubs and they go, "Yeah, he's all right. He's got it. I can get over twelve now, but I'll see how he does. And if he does well, if he scores ten goals in ten games, he's now worth fifty million. I don't know. Like Liverpool seem to buy every every decent player. Said Hampton have. Okay, uh, and I'm a bit kind of, I'm always a bit confused why they don't just go and get their head scout. He's probably on 300 grand a year. You know what I mean? Don't go and spend 20 on the land, 25 here, 50 here, 70 here. Just get their scout. The scout seems to know what he's doing. So don't keep spending all this money on their players. Get the scout, and then he'll get the players for a lot less. But there does seem to be pressure on, on, on the big teams to have to spend the big money and. I, I do understand the risks involved in, in buying these kids for 12 and 13 million and if it doesn't go well see you later you know yeah it's just it, it's I, I'd never heard of the, the young flit to be honest with you I watched a, an 8 minute YouTube video looks good but they all do it's I, I think we're going to talk about it soon it's just it, it seems to be I'm surprised he went to, to Watford because Watford seemed taking a player straight over from Brazil is kind of out of the ordinary for them they seem to their transfer system seems to be 
loaning players from the other clubs that Pozzo family owns. So um, maybe they're trying to get in into the whole, like the lad said, get him in, does well, you can sell him on for a big profit, which clubs like Chelsea are doing. Chelsea have become the masters of buying promising young players, loaning them out. Okay, he'll stay with Watford, so it's a little bit different than then then selling them on. So I just have to wait to see how that one turns out, lads. Um, will he be ready to go into a Premier League team, having played probably twenty what a season in Brazil? That's a big, big step up. You'd normally expect a player like that to go to Portugal, maybe to Benfica or Porto, yeah. and then make his way make his way uh, further up in Europe. But it's yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if he's able to go straight into uh, a Premier League team straight from Brazil at such a young age. Jury's out on that one, I think. So, Well, if it works, it's obviously going to be a great value deal for Watford. As we said, it seems to work. It's a, it could possibly be a win-win all around. But what would be a good value deal? And what are the good value deals that are going around, considering all the crazy money that clubs are spending on players? Peter? I would say one of the best pieces of business I've seen is... This uh, Sandro that Everton have signed. He, he's what 2021 ex Barcelona scored 16 goals in the Liga last year. Was supposed to go to Atletico except for their ban. Starred in the under 21 Euros. That like five million. That's only one tenth of a Kyle Walker. Um, <laughs> so, if, from now on, I'd just like to propose that we, whenever someone mentions a transfer fee, we either divide, divide or multiply by Kyle Walker's. Okay? Oh, the fractions <laughs> of oh, grand. This fellow's one tenth of a Kyle Walker, and uh, he seems to yeah, he seems to be a lethal finisher, um, good pace. Um, he'll be different. Everton will probably have to change their style of play to accommodate him a bit. He won't be that target man as such that they had with Lukaku, but. I'd say he'd be looking at 10, 15 goals next season. And for, for 5 million, considering the other crazy fees floating about, that's uh, that's next to nothing, you know. Scott, we mentioned Hernandez last week. That's got to be up there. Yeah, Hernandez, definitely. Um, he knows the league. So everyone's expecting the expectation. The pressure's already on for him to perform. And uh, West Ham's not the best place to have a pressure cooker. One misplaced pass, and you're going to have 55,000 people screaming at him that he's uh, an unsavoury name. Uh, I won't mention that particular swear word, but I'm sure we can all guess it. Um, but other good business, and a club that I think uh, have done remarkably well in the two years they've been in the league, and they keep performing, um, and that's Bournemouth. Asmir Begovic, Jermaine Defoe, Nathan Aki, they're three good signings. Aki obviously knows the club being loaned there last season. Um, Jermaine Defoe, proven scorer. Even at his age, he's still doing it. Still a lethal finisher, knows what the goal is. And Asmir Begovic is, is, is a very solid keeper. And we, and because of that and their business and being done under the radar, I'm, I reckon they'll be a healthy mid-table team next year. And each season, they seem to establish themselves that bit, little bit more. Um, the management and, and the way that club run seems to be fantastic. Eddie Howe himself has, seems to have the mildest touch when it comes to things Bournemouth related, at least. And um, I think he's been true business here. He's gone for proven Premier League players to to take that next step forward. It's baby steps. Watford aren't trying to um, run before they can walk. They're just doing things very sensibly. And as a result, I think there'll be possibly a dark horse to finish in the uh, the ninth or tenth positions, uh, battling out with the likes of West Ham and Everton possibly as well. Carl, what do you reckon? Who's done good business this window? Well, I'm, I'm in agreement with Scott. I think one of the best transfers and possibly a player that Everton and again Spurs have missed out on as an option is Defoe I think for free 
I think that's a, a, a brilliant signing for Bournemouth. You know, anyone who could have got Jermaine Defoe for free for another season or so, you know, two two more years maybe in him, then that's a great signing. I mean, you have to look at City as much as their business is not possibly the the best business money-wise, but when you look at the attacking options that they've managed to bring in now and potentially the couple of defensive options, then I, you know, whether they've overspent or not, but that could be money that spend they've spent to take them to the title and even potentially push on quite a distance in the Champions League because no one or no one will be able to stop them going forward if they if they click. I just want to say, um, talking about um, uh, Carl Walker, how many Jermaine Defoe's can you get for a Carl Walker? It's fantastic. It's 50. 50 Jermaine Defoe's. <laughs> Danny, we'll come on to uh, Liverpool and the business that they probably need to be getting on with. But is there anyone, any clubs, anyone out there that you think has done really, really well this this summer? I think West Ham, to be honest. Uh, West Ham for me. I, I like Palmer too. I think they've signed. I think Nate Nacky's a very good signing. Uh, I think the keeper's a very good signing. Defoe's very like All kind of... Maybe guys that not, uh, well, Aki's obviously uh, just starting out in his career and all that. I don't think he'll be there for too long if he performs. But I think uh, three very good signings. For me, I think West Ham could maybe finish seventh, eighth, that sort of number. I think Zabaleta, Hart, Arnautovic, Hernandez, they're not top, top, they're not the top level players. They're not players at the top of their game, maybe. But I do think they've signed experience. They've all won things. Maybe, I, I'm not sure what Arnautovic has won in his career, but Zabaleta has won a few things. Hart, Hernandez, I think they're really good signings. And I think I think all that West Ham are really lacking is someone to score goals. And I think if uh, Arnautovic and Hernandez can add that sort of goal threat, I think they'll be okay. Because at the back, they're pretty solid. I think um, uh, Jose Fonte, I don't think he started off too well there at West Ham. Maybe took a bit of bedding in time. I'm not sure. But I think he'll have a good season next year, and I think West Ham now will have a really good uh, really good season. And uh, if I was a West Ham fan, I'd actually be looking forward to seeing them. I think because I think there'll be more goals in them there than there has been for for the last while. Absolutely, I mean, things are looking up for for West Ham. A little bit more depth, possibly another striker coming in because we've got two brittle strikers. Uh, midfield looks good. Noble's coming on uh, in age. He's not the fastest of players, but giving him a bit of freedom, he can move the ball about. Um, Obiang. Absolutely top draw. And adding yeah, these like new that, experienced yeah. players um, as w- uh, with the likes of Lanzini, um, who's possibly our best player, uh, and coming at a good time, obviously, with the, the Pirate situation last year, to have that creative spark and um, to have an out of it and uh, Obiangs and and you, you, uh, the, the experience bedding in with some of the youth players or the younger players that are not quite first teamers like Byram. Um, that really does help us push on a bit. Uh, just one more striker could really help us solidify a, a, a healthy top half finish rather than um, possibly a few injuries and then struggling. Sorry, sorry lads to burst your bubble there but surely Lanzini's off to Liverpool when Coutinho goes to Barcelona. No, no, it's not happening mate and you tried it last week. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not yeah, happening. Not biting either. No, no. no. Yeah, yeah, well I'll, I'll bite alright. There's no doubt about that but uh, it's not happening. I think he knows it as well. Why would he leave? I heard love that go to a big club. The fucking neck, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So a lot of clubs uh, with a lot of business left to do. We mentioned Spurs last week and uh, we said at the time that they might be happy having not lost any players this window, but following their defeat to City over in the States, Potts said that they're falling behind. Uh, do you agree with that, Peter? Or do you think that they still just need to maybe boost a few squad options? Yeah, I think he, he said as well that they know what they're doing. They just have to be 
have to be patient. I don't think Spurs are the only... I think every club still has business to do, maybe barring, I suppose, West Ham. And, and Wenger probably won't sign more than two players in the transfer window, God forbid. Like, But, um, yeah, I think that all the clubs still have a lot to do. And as, as I said last week, and I think Spurs are, are trying to buy substitute players, not necessarily players for the starting eleven. So... I think they may sit sit and wait a little bit. And it's always been the way with Spurs, as Carl well knows. Daniel Levy seems to, to like to leave it late for some reason. And yeah, I think they're just going to have to wait and see. I I still think Spurs have, have probably just one of the strongest um, starting 11s in the league. So it's just finding finding players that can impact off the bench. Like Janssen, if, if they could sign a striker for 17 million who actually looked like scoring goals, the players they've signed over the last couple of seasons to make that impact off the bench just haven't done it for them. So I think you just have to wait and see on Spurs, really. So, uh, Scott, Spurs with just a few tweaks to make. Uh, is there anyone else out there who you're looking at that they really, really need to get their act together? I suppose the obvious choice um, because of the position they're in the league and where they should be fighting for because they've got a fantastic first eleven. Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool, big one for me. They've, they've bought some good players. Uh, Solanke will be one of the, the, the player that will go under the radar. But let's rubbish the reports about um, Coutinho for the minute. Uh, I, I look at the defence. I think if, if they give Sacco a chance and, and they can they can build up a relationship with the back because he's an absolute beast, that'll be like a new signing for him. Goalkeeper needs to... The, the situation at the back for them, that needs to change drastically. But I think... The, the, both with both Merseyside clubs, as good as business as Everton have done, I think they're both vulnerable for the new season. Unless they get in some real quality in certain positions, I think Liverpool need to do some serious business, and soon. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? As you say, I think everyone would have to agree that Spurs is the obvious choice for the you know the team who are now looking around, thinking, oh, this you know the shelves are emptying in the supermarket here, um, and we're in big trouble now. But I'm sure, no doubt, Levy will pull out his last minute that days and Barkley will join on some astronomical 30, 40 million pound fee. Um, I think one of the players they're kind of missing out on is Spurs, I think this season, should be looking at players like King at Bournemouth, you know, who look like they've got real potential. But we don't seem to be interested in looking at those sort of players if you're not going to try and go and buy somebody who's going to push it or get in the first team. So, yeah, we, we're the standout um, the standout team there. Liverpool, I think, again, everything hinges for Liverpool on Coutinho staying. If he stays and they can get Van Dijk, Dick Van Dijk in, <laughs> then potentially you think Liverpool looks solid then, you know, solid centre-half. You know, Salah on the wing looks pretty good. Everton, if their business comes off, then... Oh, yeah, I suppose really the only team who you're looking at now. And, and Arsenal, I think, I guess in some ways. You know, Arsenal, I don't think, have brought that much in where you go, well, is much going to change there from what they had last season? Especially if Sanchez goes. So, yeah, I think Arsenal, Spurs and Liverpool potentially need to pull their finger out a little bit just to cover a few bases that they've got weaknesses in. What about it, Danny? Are you looking at the Liverpool team and kind of, are you getting worried about the lack of um, no, not, or anything? Not, not really. Um, I just like to go with Spurs first. I think I think the manager's kind of looking at it a bit like if it's not broken, don't fix it. I think there's this massive obsession with spending money, and uh, I think if you look at who's won the league in the last few years, there hasn't been massive amount of. Uh, I think um, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham, 
um, have coaches that actually believe, and this might be a bit controversial, actually believe that they can improve players by coaching, not by just spending money. Uh, I think Pochettino... That's, that's that, unheard of. Yeah, well, I, well, I tell you, I think Pochettino's top-class manager. I think he's, he looks like he's improving every player that, that's out in the training field with him. Uh, Klopp's the same, and I think uh, Guardiola's a bit of a shame, and I think, I think he just had loads of money... And I think I don't think they'll win the league this year. And I think they'd be found out for not being much of a, not being much of a coach, but being someone that loves to spend loads of cash, or is either either that, or he's been handed the greatest team that's ever existed when he was when he had the, the Barcelona team a few years ago. And I won't get on to Mourinho because he spent more money than every manager I think combined ever. And I'm not exaggerating, but uh, honestly, I, I I think Tottenham don't need much. I think they need. Maybe, maybe, maybe a good sub striker, to be honest. And I think Liverpool need a centre back, and I think they're well stocked everywhere else. And I know you love to bash the keeper, but uh, I have to say, I thought Mignolet for the second half of last season when he got back in was top notch. Uh, and I think he's toughened up a little bit, and uh, he knows that he's not a good footballer, so he boots it when he needs to, and he punches it when he needs to. So uh, I think the likes of Arsenal, I think, need to do uh, a lot of work. And I like United because they did come fifth and sixth last year and uh, they were both very poor. Yeah, they need to do more work than the likes of Liverpool and Tottenham. Touched on an interesting point there about uh, some of these managers and indeed some of the clubs that kind of feel that they need to spend a huge amount of money and you kind of see that with the Mbappe deal and obviously with the Neymar deal that's going through. But let's talk about the Mbappe deal, Peter, because obviously that's a huge amount of money. Uh, Scott, I think you mentioned uh, Vincinius Jr. earlier on as well, who's going for £40 million. What is it about these clubs buying these kids for these outrageous amounts of money when really they haven't, you know, they don't have a track record behind them? Yeah, but the Mbappe one is yeah, hundred and what hundred and sixty million they're saying. Like he does probably look like he was outstanding last year in the Champions League. You know, he looks he looks to have it all. But yeah, hundred and sixty million after one season is is a, is is still a big risk. Now with him, I think it's a bit different because supposedly they, these big clubs have been eyeing, eyeing him up since he was eleven or twelve years of age. It's no surprise to those in the know that he he had the season he had last year. You know, as much as we say it's crazy and all the rest, if Real Madrid get 10 years out of him ripping up defences in the La Liga, the Champions League, the amount of money they'll make through merchandise and TV, etc., etc., that deal will pay for itself in a few years. It's the other deal I think is insane, is the $40 million for this 16-year-old kid, Vincinius Jr., who hasn't played 90 minutes yet. Um, that's just nuts. You know, we all grew up in the time where Real were buying... Galacticos, so say it was like Figo, Zidane, the, the original Ronaldo, Beckham, these lads probably had 70, 80 international caps, were in their late 20s already world superstars it seems to be a general trend now to be buying them, you know, younger and younger and you know, every time you open the paper it's Man United and Chelsea are fighting over some young fella from Feyenoord or you know etc etc and they seem to sign all these they seem oh Chelsea won the battle to sign Feyenoord wonder kid 15 against City and Arsenal and then you never hear hear about the young lads again so it's it's a trend that all the clubs are afraid of missing out on the next big thing but then at the same time they can't seem to get them into their first team so it's it's strange strange trend yeah it's absolutely ridiculous of the way money's gone I remember being a kid and um, when, uh, for example, Collymore went to Liverpool for seven million, uh, or Shearer to Newcastle fifteen million. You go even further back. Carl's old enough to remember when Trevor Francis signed for for ninety four hundred million quid, and, 
And if you talk to him about that, he's it's still shocking. But the, the last real wonder kid that I remember hitting a scene um, and being absolutely amazing, especially, well, particularly in England, was Wayne Rooney. Uh, that 16-year-old scoring that absolutely fantastic goal against Arsenal. You just knew he was going to be a special player. Now, let's take that sort of period and you're seeing these youngsters and you, you obviously take the money. Rooney went in 2005, I think it was 30 million. The rate of inflation, I suppose, and the way all the, the transfers work, it's no shock that you're looking at a 16-year-old for 40 million quid. And the other thing is about that, that's probably small change. This this Brazilian club are going, we can knock a few of these lads out of kicking a ball around a favela, uh, make them come across as the next Neymar, as I've seen this chap's been quoted out, and, and then flog them on for 40, 50 mils. And then yeah, you've got Mbappe. He, I, I didn't see it. I didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't know too much about him. Um, but I have read about him since. I, he does actually seem the real deal and incredible. Because if you're performing at that level in the Champions League, um, I know League One isn't the greatest league in the world, but um, scoring goals and, and, and being a, an absolute nuisance of a player and a beast at the same time, it's astronomical money. But you, you're getting one hell of a player. And I see today that there's a bidding war between Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, going for this fella. And um, Monaco uh, rubbing their hands with glee. They're going to lose a fantastic player, but Monaco's aims aren't to win the Champions League. Monaco's aims are to be cash rich, I suppose, uh, and win and become uh, and be as good as they can domestically, competing with Lyon, Marseille, and PSG. Carl, it's a funny one. We kind of spoke about this last week about how you know these these massive deals economically they probably work out for the clubs, and I guess for them, even if one of these kids comes through and becomes a Neymar or becomes a Ronaldo or a Messi then it it's all worthwhile right yeah definitely I think I think as Peter said there and we mentioned it last week 160 million we look at and go this is crazy but again if Real Madrid get him and he helps them win their league title they go on to win another Champions League and you know they're already a world superpower but this will just enhance the brand his shirt sales go through the roof they make this money back and, and more. So for a club, for those clubs buying these players, as you say, if one of these takes off to be bigger than Neymar, Messi or Ronaldo, then the, the, what they've paid now will power into significance to what they'll earn from that player. We think it's crazy and it, it does seem crazy, but overall this, this could be good business, the same as Pogba for United. You know, we thought 100 mil was, was silly money, but you read that money's been well and truly paid back. So it, I think it, it has to make sense for the clubs to do it. They're, they wouldn't be spending that money if, there was, if they weren't earning from that. Listen, these clubs have loads, loads of dough. Obviously, uh, there's a the only risk I think uh, from a business point of view, I'd say for these clubs are they're spending 100 million, 160 million, and obviously uh, what they think will be the real deal. But what if, what if in the next year or two, someone, some kid comes along who looks, he looks like he's a bigger player and a better player, so. And Mbappe might be twenty, and then some kid comes comes from Brazil or something like that. Do they then say, "All right, they have to be shown to be competing for the best young talent in the world"? And if he comes along and he looks like he's a better player than Mbappe, do they say, "Okay, right, we're going to, have to spend two hundred million on this kid"? And Mbappe, who was probably going to be a ten-year investment, is no longer an investment anymore because we're going to we're going to sell him on to someone else because we think we've found something bigger and better. You know, I don't think these kids will get the ten years. 
to prove themselves. And I just think I think it's risky business strategy, and I don't know how sustainable it is. Well, do you think on the other side of things that um, Southampton might be a good example of this, that it's better for clubs uh, to produce these players for the bigger clubs to come and swallow them up financially? Southampton had a plethora of talent that had come through their youth system. They're still producing good players. That If they get them to a good enough level, then Liverpool come and snap half the squad up. But by and large, I mean, you look at Bales, Walcott, Ox- Oxlade-Chamberlain's, Lalana. They've got good business out of their youth system. And it seems like a good idea for clubs, maybe not at Southampton's level because of where they are now. But if you're in the lower leagues or uh, a, a smaller Premier League club, it's good business to produce your youth and sell them on. It's what we were stuck yes, with for yeah. years. Yeah, that's, good, that's a good point, man, that, because yeah. when, you, when yeah. you think about it, um, like when we, we were talking about that Watford guy earlier, um, Rick Carlson, from his own point of view, that, that move to Watford is actually a good move, probably, instead of going straight into a big club where he probably wouldn't pay. Because when you think about Mbappe, Mbappe the, the, the money is obviously crazy, but it's the pressure on him that's going to be absolutely insane because... You go into Real Madrid, like the, their crowd is notoriously harsh. Like if he, you know, a young player, you saw it with Rashford last season and young players, when they're hot, they're hot. But when they miss a couple of chances, when they don't have the experience, their confidence really takes a, takes a beating. Like, so you can imagine there Mbappe it doesn't go well the first few games, crowd getting his back. It, it'll be tough. Maybe for a lot of these young players, it's better to go to clubs like Watford where they'll play every, well, they have a better chance of playing every week. And they, they'll be out of that. There won't be as much limelight on them. As a lot of the young players that have gone to City, um, especially the young English players have proved, just signing for one of the big clubs doesn't always necessarily mean you're you're going to make it there. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, well, you see that yeah, uh, that Danish that, kid, yeah, Martin no, Odegaard. Where is he now? Exactly. Heron on loan. Is that where, where he is? Where? Heron Veen. on loan, yeah. That's an absolute step down. Yeah. And was how much was he? He was he was forty grand a week at fifteen or something like that. Anyway, I know that. <laughs> yeah, it was something crazy. But actually, there's an interesting point on that. I think Wenger made during the week because they were talking about, uh, you know, allowing Sanchez and maybe Ozil's contract to run down. He was saying that he doesn't have a problem doing that. Players are going to keep playing on and they'll keep pushing through towards the end of their contract, knowing that they'll get a move to another club. And then instead of there being a big transfer that goes through that they'll just take a big signing on for you or that they'll get more wages if the club isn't spending all that money on a big inflated transfer. So there's got to be some kind of break in it. It can't keep going, keep going until we get a, a half a billion pound player. Oh, Jesus. Well, I mean, what, why yeah. not? We're talking like 200 million no, no, already. No, no, no. I mean, no, 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 I agree with you. But yeah, no, I'm just I'm laughing because it's crazy money. That's it, like, but it's probably not that far away. You're right. No, I fully agree with you. Um, I think it's crazy. I, I not sustainable, I don't think at all, though. Absolutely. I think that also shows that you have to question the actual players themselves. I think that that's one of the one of the problems that these big clubs have is they can offer that such an attractive salary. It, it must happen where these clubs buy these young lads' mum and dad a house or something like that. You takes a brave young player to turn around and actually say, "Well, I know Man City are after me and they want me, but I'll never play there." Whereas if I go to Southampton. If I'm good enough, I'll get my move to City in the end. But let me go and play first and prove myself. So, but I guess it's a bit like all of us. Sometimes the money that these clubs can offer, you know, it takes a brave, it takes someone brave to say, no, I'm going to reject that sort of money at my age, and and I'll, I'll trust my football ability that I'll do this. 
I wonder does it does it come into uh, where you're from uh, a lot of the time? Yeah. Like, yeah. do you love your football but hate your family? You know what I mean? If you come, from, <laughs> you know, if you come from a wealthy a wealthy background, and I know most footballers don't, but if you come from a wealthy background, you have an option to say, all right, well, I love my football, and I'm not going to end up, you know, let's say on the street or something. If it doesn't work out, I still have a a nice <clears throat> nice family life to to drop back to, but. Um, I think it was the thinking of Ralph Rangwick from right. um, RB, RB Leipzig who uh, who said about uh, Kaita when Liverpool are trying to sign the Kaita deal and, he, and he's talking about that he's been uh, persuaded by a whole village in uh, in Guinea or Guinea uh, wherever he's from and um, you know they were giving him a bit of stick for maybe racist comments but he's basically saying that there's wherever this guy's from he's actually going to be providing for not just his wife and kids and, and mum and, and dad, maybe a whole village or maybe, you know, two, three hundred people. He might be putting kids through college or putting kids through school. You know, I don't know what, I don't cold. know exactly. Yeah, if they get a move to a Russian club, um, freezing cold nights, um, playing with supporters who are going to be screaming abuse at you from start to finish and none of it nice, lobbing bananas and all sorts, but they're going to pay you 300 grand a week. Yeah, I'll take that. And then you get say the uh, British kids and the Irish kids, etc., where they'll, they might come from a, a rough council estate, but what will happen is they'll start off with a lot of promise. Ravel Morrison's a good example of this. Once the money comes in, the uh, ambition sort of dries up and they, they, they haven't got that, that will and that drive to become a successful player and go on uh, and, and be as good as they could be. I mean, the amount of potential that uh, Ferguson was saying and Allardyce and several other people um, within the world of football have said about Morrison that he's got all the ability in the world but he hasn't got the ambition he hasn't got the attitude to, to see him thrive as a football player so he's always going to be on the periphery of the championship and, and, and the Premier League because he hasn't got the mental capacity to go well, I'll tell you what I'm going to actually live up to my um, potential and become one of the best players that this country's produced yeah, it's difficult though, lads, because you know you don't even have to be as extreme. It's, it's a very good point uh, being made, but it's not always as extreme as someone coming out of you know uh, a small country in Africa or something. It could just be someone, yeah, wanting to. There'd be a lot of pressure on the young lad to take the move to to Man City, say for example, to get his house, his to buy his mother a house or or, or what have you. Um, and I, that's a it's a major problem in football now. Definitely is the fact that. These 16 and 17 year olds are getting 30, 40 grand a week contracts, and then they lose motivation. Like Januzaj at United was it was a good example of that as well. Um, but it, if we were 16, 17, and you got all that money, it'd be difficult to maintain that motivation as well. And maybe you know when they're 22, 23, they realise, ah, fuck it, I'm after making a mistake here. And sometimes then it's too late to turn back the clock. You know, other people are too developed. Um, well, I think that's up to the club, though. It's very hard for a 16-year-old to... to it's, you're expecting a 16-year-old to make a decision that us in our 30s see as logical, you know? Well, you'll have an agent in his ear as well, won't you? Yeah. An agent will be saying to the young lad, you could break your leg tomorrow, or next yeah. year you could break your leg and be out of the game. But, but if you sign this happen. 40 grand a week contract for the next three years, you're at least guaranteed to come out of it with that money. So that, that is harsh, isn't it? You know, not be funny. I'm, I'm, I'm not it's poor. Hard, right? I'm not rich. But if if City offered me forty, fifty grand a week at sixteen, if Spurs could offer me ten grand a week. I think I'd probably go City. <laughs> I think let's look after myself first. It's hard. It's two, hard. three years. It does seem like a, it's a bit of a conundrum, and it's listen, money talks, and it seems to talk because that's people go, 
you know, these young kids, they don't give a shit about the history of the football club and how many times they've won. Because like, no one would sign for Man City or Chelsea if that was the case. You know what I mean? To be signed for Liverpool and Man United pretty much week in, week out. But they don't give a, they don't give a fuck. You know, they all they care about, I'm sure, at the end of the day, is the Benjamins and how many people they can look after or, or maybe they're just looking after themselves. But... Um, I'm sure. I'm sure money just talk, money seems to talk. It's a rarity that you get, say, a uh, Cristiano Ronaldo who's so in love with the game that mm. they dedicate themselves to it. Or a Paul Scholes is another example. Once they get the money and the bright lights and they can become Billy Big Bollocks, that's them. That's the, yeah. I mean, no, it's not all players. And I've got an example of a, of, of, a, of a player. who seems to be the opposite to that who wants to play football. Um, well, I know we're going to talk about youth in a minute, but um, one of the examples. Um, we've got is a uh, young Declan Rice and an Irish centre back. I think he's already been called up to the senior squad. Um, he's going to be working with the senior squad at West Ham. Um, but there was an incident, uh, a positive incident um, at, during the pre-season games in Germany that uh, uh, one of the coaches there traveled o- over to watch him. Um, and they did a, uh, uh, a coach ride from five o'clock in the morning, arriving there at 10 o'clock at night, going to the game the next day. But as they were leaving, Declan Rice has got on the coach and, and thanked all those people for coming over and watching watching him and a lot of the youthful players play in at a, a pointless tournament, a, the Betway Cup. And that's a touch of class. And that's something a lot of young players um, don't have the capacity to, to do anymore. And for, for me as a West Ham fan, I love it reading about that sort of stuff because that's an ambassador to your club. And you've got a, a young man who has got uh, an old head on his shoulder. He's really sensible. And that means he's probably going to care about his career and we're going to benefit on the basis of that. Yeah, that's the Irish. That's the Irishness in them, you know. Good parents. <laughs> the Good Irish parents. charm. Mammy, ma- Mammy's the lovers. Like the, the whole Irish charm thing's a bit of an act. I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to get into one of the young ones on the coast. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of yeah, we're sneaky. Like we're like the Russians. <laughs> Let's stick with the youth players then. We were chatting about uh, some players that might have potential uh, going into this season. Peter, have you got your eye on anyone? Yeah, um, this boy, Jaden Sancho, who's in the news at the moment for... Um, he's, he's at Man City, 17, player of the tournament under, under 17 euros. Seems to have copped on that here, Man City, the amount of players they have, they're still being linked with Sanchez and Bappe um, and, and that ilk of player. Chances of me getting into, getting into the first team are very low. I want to go somewhere I'm going to play. And Spurs tried to include him in the Walker deal. Um, they were told no chance. But he's stopped. He's, they're, they're having, he's not going to train at the moment. Looks like he, he's definitely going to leave. They offered him 30 grand a week. He's turned it down. Uh, so they didn't take him on the preseason tour. This lad's a brilliant left winger. You know, modern kind of, modern forward. Uh, pace, power, trickery. Looks like he's going to go to Arsenal. Um, he's originally from London, and I'd say he could, probably not ready to go in as a starting starting eleven type of player, but could definitely make an impact off the bench if he does get that move to Arsenal, which seems likely. And if Wenger's willing him to give him a chance, I think uh, I think he could pull up a few trees um, this upcoming season, definitely. What about you, Carl? Is there anyone you've uh, got your eye on? I think for us, um, the fact that obviously the signings look like they're going to be few and far between. We've got a young lad there who, Marcus Edwards, and I think that's a young player that a lot of Spurs fans are keen to see how he progresses this season. He's made a couple of substitute appearances 
And he looks one of those little players that he's got that confidence. You can already see he picks the ball up and he's not kind of thinking, I'll best lay this off to one of the more experienced players. He kind of looks like, right, I've got it now. Where am I going? I'm going to take him on, take you on. And he looks like he's got something special about him. And I think this year, I think we're all kind of looking forward to maybe him getting a bit more of a squad squad rotation and a run out in the cups, you know, League Cup and FA Cup. And there's there's real high hopes for him, along with another guy, Kazia Sterling, I think it is. We've got a forward. Um, and, you know, for all we know this year, if Jensen doesn't start off and looks like he's improved at all, then we may see him come in and play part of a backup for Kane as well. So two young players there that people have got high hopes for. And by the looks of it now, we'll need those we'll need those type of players this season. Danny, Gerard is doing a lot of work with the youth at Liverpool. Have you is there anyone coming through who you think is gonna burst into the first team, maybe make an impact or maybe someone else in the league? Yeah, I, I, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone from uh, Gerard's group will be doing it uh, just yet. Uh, high hopes for a uh, young lad, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, he's probably played maybe I don't know 10, 12 games for Liverpool now. Right full, looks like he's going to start the season as Liverpool's first choice right back. Uh, with Klein injured, and I think if he starts well, I think it's, his, I think it's his to lose. To be honest. Um, He's, he's very hungry. He's a local lad. Uh, very good going forward. I think that matters because I think he gives a shit. In saying that, he's not great defensively. And it always seems to be when a, a new good attacking fullback comes comes on the scene, they can't defend. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem to be a necessity for fullbacks anymore, <laughs> which is... Uh, which means he'll fit in lovely at Liverpool, to be honest. He's you know, a 50 million player, so... Ah, he's already... He's only worth 20, Kyle <laughs> Walker. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, no, he, he's quality. He's got the physique. He's he's a modern-day footballer. He's he's strong, he's quick, uh, and he's neat, he's tidy. He puts a great ball in. He had a manager at uh, under-16 and under-23 level, Michael Beale, who said... Who actually put a 100-quid bet on when he was 14... And he's playing with the under 16s at 13 or 14. But 100 quid bet on says he'll play 100 times for Liverpool with uh, Pep Linders, who was another Liverpool uh, under underage coach. And uh, I wouldn't like to have taken the bet because I think he'd be paying out. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be top quality. Hopefully, we get to see him in there. The more young lads, the more young local lads in 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 Liverpool's team anyway, the better. I think it makes a big difference. I think for the fans anyway. Nice one. Uh, so last week we made some predictions on the uh, top four and the bottom three as well but let's have a look just at the top six maybe we'll go around the group and I know some of you looked at some of the clubs uh, and see why they might have a good season and why they might not have a good season Peter I know you did the Merseyside clubs let's start with Liverpool yeah Liverpool their, their strength is obviously like Danny said earlier I have to agree with him a bit Klopp does like to work with his players and improve them I think going forward they have they have a lot of strength um, you know Salah Mane Firmino, Daniel Sturridge, it's been very quiet, which could be a good thing for him. Normally, whenever there's a transfer he's window... Fit. He's fit and yeah, ready to go so, for well, now. So they, so they say, we'll see. But um, if they can keep him fit, you know, he could be probably the best English... Well, maybe not with Kane around these days, but one of the best English strikers, definitely. Um, a match winner. Firmino, midfield is good. I, I agree, unless they sign Van Dijk, the defence can be got at quite easily. Um, so I'd, I would say in terms, and they've an excellent, excellent record since Klopp came in against the top six. 
It's ridiculous. He's taken a... a Jeez, you're a bit nicer this week than you were last week. Jeez. Don't worry, the, the, weak, the weakness <laughs> is coming up, Danny, don't worry. Um, All right. I, I think attacking-wise, that would be their main strength. Um, Klopp's high-press game against the top teams will get them points in them games. And that would bring me on to their weakness then, which is against teams in the lower half of the league. They're shocking against them. I think most Liverpool fans would agree. Well, even for me, if I'm putting a bet on, I fancy Liverpool more against a team near the top than I would against the bottom, which is, is a strange thing. It seems when teams play play direct and get a lot of man behind the ball, so they just play over his high press. He's been in England 18 months, and it seems to me like he just doesn't have a plan B how to deal with that. It just They just end up taking shots from 25, 30 yards, and I think that's when they miss... Uh, in, in them scenarios, I think they kind of need to start being a bit more direct themselves and whipping balls in instead of passing it around in front of teams. So that, that would seeing if Klopp can come up with a plan B to deal with how teams counteract the high press, that has the potential to be their biggest weakness. If he can't come up with that plan B, they won't uh, challenge for the league and they'll struggle. It'll be touch and go for the top four again because there's too many points to be lost against teams in the bottom half um, like they did last season. Scott, Chelsea, uh, what have they got going for them and what should they be worried about? They've got going from pedigree. They've got going from the fact that they're league champions. Uh, they've got going from that they're more or less a settled club. You've sprinkled quality on top. I don't think they're going to upset the dressing room. They're bringing the right types of people into the club. Uh, I think uh, they're getting rid of the right types of people. If uh, Conte not to want to use um, Costa says to me that he's a disruptive influence, um, and they're going to start putting their eggs in the baskets of Batshuayi and Morata. I know we spoke about Morata possibly not being used to the league, never being a leading man for any club. Um, that could give Batshuayi a lot of confidence that um, Conte's going to use him more. And by all reports, I think he's been um, pretty good in pre-season for him. And um, I, mean, I don't see him having too many weaknesses. They're my choice right now before the season's even started to win the league. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't see him struggling, to be fair. Carl, what about United? We mentioned earlier that uh, you know they've, they've brought in Maddich, they've strengthened that spine, and I know you rate them quite highly. Yeah, I think United this year could be really strong. I mean, I think one of the one of the best things they got when they got Lukaku over uh, Morata was the fact that we all know that a striker coming to a new league needs that time to adapt, and obviously, if Morata doesn't hit the ground running at Chelsea then we'll find that after two or three games, the pressure's on. Whereas Lukaku's done it before. So we kind of know, even if he has a small dry spell, you know there's 20-plus goals in that player and that he will do that against teams. So I think United up front with him look strong. Um, Matic, he'll, he'll, he'll bring him some good depth and add, give him another option in that midfield, which, as the guys have said, will release Pogba forward. And obviously Lindroff at the back uh, with De Gea staying. I think United just looks strong in every department this year. And if you consider that we'll now have second seasons for players like Lingard, uh, Mkhitaryan, you know, Pogba, I, you know, you, you can't look much past United this year if, if that clicks under Mourinho. And of course, Mourinho is the serial winner, isn't he? So I think United look really strong. The only position maybe United needs to strengthen again is the centre-backs. You know, Smalling, Jones, there's not really that much Rojo. I think they still need something as a centre-half to shore that up a little bit more. Danny, what about City? We mentioned uh, the big signings that they've brought in. 
Yeah, well, when I said earlier, I'm not, I'm, I, I like City. I'm, I'm not mad on Guardiola, if I'm being honest, but they're, uh, they're very unpredictable. Uh, they're a bit hot and cold. They started off last season like a train, and then just the wheels fell off. I don't know why or how. It looked like they were just going to stroll to the league. But they have so many goals, and what I like is just the goals, the pace. They have such clever players in Silva, De Bruyne, um, I think I think uh, Sané is actually going to be a massive player from this year. I think he lo- he had he had enough about him last year to look like he was already there. But I think I think he'll kick on to another level this year. Uh, even they're looking at Sanchez; they're not dead in the Mbappe deal, which I'm sure they are. But with Aguero and Jesus, you can see why they could afford to get rid of Ianacho. Looking at it, really, but I think they'd be so good going forward that they will outscore uh, many teams. But the reason I don't think they win the league, it's, um, it's what did their manager say? What did Guardiola say at the end of last year? He said, I've learned you have to score more than one goal a game to win a game as a Man City manager. Like He has addressed it with, with 19 full-backs or whatever he got in. But I think he needs a centre-back. I think he needs a centre-midfielder. And I don't think they've had a good... If I think if they had Kante... It'd be done. The league would be done. I think they'd win it easy. I can't say in a fit company, but keeping company, saying that keeping them fit is one thing, uh, or saying it is one thing, keeping them fit is another. I don't. I'm not mad on Adam Mende or whoever. I I can't even John Stones. I think he's he looks nice, but I don't want him to be centre back to look nice. I want him to look like an absolute brute with no teeth who will stick his <laughs> stick his head in his face anywhere um like Jamie Carragher but even uglier you know what I mean yeah, like there's 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 too many center backs playing for Man City I think at the moment who are spending 25 minutes getting their barnet done and there's not a there's not a there's not a hair out of place and that sh- that shouldn't be the way they should want to be out there they should want to come off the pitch filthy dirty and I think as I think I said it I think that they need a sentiment failure as well um, Fernando, Fernandinho, whoever, they're both the same player for me. I don't know who's who. And um, I don't think they've had a holding midfielder really, even since Gareth Barry left. You know, and Gareth Barry, I know he's come to the end of his career. I think he was pretty underrated. And I thought he, he did a great job for them. I think they're a little bit light there. You know, United have Herrera, Fellaini, and Matic. That shows the difference in the managers, obviously. But uh, I think if. If they could go and take a rare or a Matic, or a, as I said, a Kante, I think it would make a big difference to them. Peter, we talked about Everton. What do you think they're going to do this season? I, don't, I still don't think they're they're going to... They'll still be the best of the rest for me. One of the other teams may have a bad season and they might get into the top six, but even with the money they've spent, they, if Sigurdsson comes in, that'll be an excellent sign. And I know I said that, um, that the striker they signed, Sandro, is very good. Keane will be a good player, but they're not kind of real. They're improvements. They're not really next-level players, I wouldn't say, to break into that top six. But having said that, they, they have a lot of strength and depth now, which, with Europe as well, will be a, a big step up for them last uh, on last season. So strength and depth will be a big strength for them now. Uh, just a general feel-good fa- factor around the club as well, there seems to be. But that kind of again, leads into their weakness. Um, I think they're a good club, Everton, um, good fans, but I think the heightened expectation might actually be one of their biggest weaknesses because some of the stuff I've seen online from Everton fans because they've signed a couple of big-ish name players has been a bit over the top. Um, 
So if they don't start well, having, you know, been telling everyone how good they're going to be and signing these players, then things could turn a bit sour quite quickly. So I think they'll do well. They'll finish seventh. And if they continue to invest over time, there's no reason why they can't start the challenge for the Champions League on a regular basis. But I think this year um, they just need to look at it as another another season of progression instead of thinking they're already there. If you know what I mean. I think you're dead right. I, I know a lot of uh, a lot of Everton boys who are who are thinking they're in the top four already, and um, they've signed they've signed a lot of players. They've signed some good players. But the way I'd look at that is. If any of the other top six wanted to sign the players they signed, they would have signed them. They would have got them. So they haven't signed a top-tier player yet. They've signed all the players that might get there, you know, but they're not signing. They're ready-made. Michael Keane's not ready-made. Sandro may end up being not ready-made. Davy Klassen. They're not top, top-level players, I don't think. And I do think until they can start signing those sorts of players, I think everyone will find themselves in the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh kind of area. But I do think they're on the, the right path as well. Scott, what about Spurs? I know we have a Spurs fan here, but let's hear an impartial view. Um, well, you're asking a West Ham fan, to be. <laughs> <laughs> this this lock, isn't going to go well, is it? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's play a drinking game called How Many Times Does Scott Mention Their Cup Final Last Year? <laughs> no, no. Listen, I've taken the claret and blue specs off. They're hanging on for my face, but I'm trying to pull them. Um, I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm worried about Spurs. If, well, I'm not, but I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> I, I'm worried about them in so much that... Um, I, I see them dipping outside the, the, the top four spots and the reason their first 11 the way they play football they're, they're brilliant to watch they're good in the eye but I just a couple of serious injuries I know me and Carl had a mini debate about this last week but a couple of serious injuries uh, and they really could disturb their season Spurs are a good team there's no point in saying otherwise they're very good uh, and if they got a bit of quality in then they really could be contenders at the same time. But with the Champions League, the League Cup, the FA Cup and the League, it's not going to be a cakewalk from uh, Harry Kane. There's a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Deli Alley, uh, uh, Christian Eriksen, um, the two centre-halves. There's a, a massive worry for me if if they have uh, an injury-ravaged um, a couple of months where Vertonghen and, uh, and Alderweireld are injured. Who's that to replace them? Dyer's makeshift. One of the areas they're particularly strong is defensive midfield, centre midfield. Um, I think they've got quality across the park. But when you've got Liverpool and, and Everton and, and West Ham picking up players that are ideal for Spurs, um, and I don't understand, uh, uh, is, the, is the move to Wembley um, in the next couple of years just a, a, a quick turnover? Just do all right before you move to your new stadium because it, it for me it can go from being very good like it has been for the last couple of seasons I know they've missed out on winning leagues but Spurs have still been very good it's a very very bad nightmare situation very quickly if they have some rotten luck and I can say first hand what rotten, rotten luck does because West Ham when we uh, second season we had injury ravaged teams we were on the verge of uh, battling relegation um, but um, as, as much as I'd like to see Spurs struggle and I really do enjoy Spurs struggling. Um, I can see that if they, if, they, if they don't get some depth in their squad. Well, uh, I'm not sure how we've worked this that you did Spurs and now, Carl, you're going to do Arsenal. So uh, why will they have a good season? Why might they not? I think Arsenal is one of them that I can't actually decide whether I think they'll have a good season or I think everything for Arsenal hinges on Sanchez, to be honest. If they can keep Sanchez in the side, then... 
you'd kind of say you'd never rule Arsenal out of again getting back in that top four. And potentially, as we know, come Christmas, Arsenal can be up there leading leading the pack. I don't see them having done anything that's going to change what they've got from last season to this season. You know, they, they've brought... You know, they've got a defender in, um, Kolesniak. Again, no one really knows too much about this guy. Um, so will we see him? Is he just bedding him in? I'm not sure. Um, obviously, Lacazette up front, that's gives, that gives them a good option. Um, but again, unknown quantity in the Premier League. If he hits the ground running and scores the goals and is the player that um, he was in France, then that gives Arsenal another great option up top. But that's never really been Arsenal's problem. It's, it's just that mentality in the midfield, you know. Ozil won't run, you know, and, and that's the trouble. Sometimes they get overrunning games because they've got a lazy player like that in their side. I can't wait. I just can't see that Arsenal have done anything at the moment that will change them from what they were last season where they could go on a run of three or four wins but then they're very much likely to go on a run of four or five defeats and we'll see the Arsenal TV crew you know fights every week on YouTube and we'll all be rubbing our hands to think oh I can't wait for Arsenal TV tonight but yeah I just don't see him having done enough and if Sanchez does go to City then I think Arsenal again will finish outside the top four right well that's the top of the Premier League what about the top of the championship who's going to win it Peter um, I would say, for me, Villa. It's between Villa and Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough have signed a Brit as Samalongo, I think it is. He, oh, he'll score God, goals. I hope it's and not they, Middlesbrough. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've signed. They've. Um, they have. Mo- well, they were so bad last year. No one really wants their players from last year. Anyway. <laughs> so apart from maybe Ben Gibson, but I'm going to go with Villa. I think because just the combination of, you know, having Pricky Mac Prickface as the captain. Um, that's John Terry, by the way. Um, I think he'll want. To, I, I we give him stick, lads, but I still think he's one of the best centre backs I've ever seen in as long as I've been watching football. Um, I think he'll he'll walk at, at Championship level, and I think Steve Bruce has a proven track record of getting teams out of the Championship. And um, they've got that guy Khadija up front who'll score goals. Um, I think Villa will uh, Villa will win the Championship. Scott, can we look beyond Villa? Uh, Sunderland after Darren Gibson's um, <laughs> roaring speech about his teammates, I Let's can't keep see that past the end, right? Yeah, um, I uh, absolutely can't see past Villa. Um, good manager, good, basically echo what Peter just said, and uh, I certainly agree with John Terry's credentials as a leader, as a, as a winner. So to have that mentality in the dressing room, uh, peppered with other good players, uh, you can't look past Villa. Carl, um, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to pull one out and say Fulham this year I think they had a real good end to the season and we're playing some really good football and keeping obviously the young guy Sessegnon was massive for them I think Fulham may surprise a few this year and uh, and maybe top that league and uh, Danny what about you who do you think is going to win the championship uh, I think it's I think it's kind of between Borough and uh, Villa myself I think Borough Borough I think are a little bit better than they they kind of showed last year in the Premiership. Uh, I think their man- manager didn't really help them. They have some decent players. Um, you know they're not bad at the back, uh, and I do think I think they have a manager that's going to let them play a little bit more expensive football than uh, Karanka let them play. And 
I think it's been between those two, and I think Sheffield Wednesday do well again. But I, I think I have a little sneaky suspicion that Derby will do all well. All right, I know they've lost two of their best players, but I think Gary Roberts, uh, I think he's very underrated. I think he's, uh, or maybe he's not underrated, but uh, I think he's a good manager, and I think uh, I think he's had a few months in charge already, and I think he'll, I think he'll have them up in the top six or there or thereabouts. Nice one. So we're heading into the final straight, and uh, a feature that we're going to start doing a bit more regularly on the show is a quote of the week. You'll find whole pages and pages of uh, famous football and quotes on the website psfootball.net. And uh, this week, Peter, we're going to feature on Brian Clough. Yeah, so I'm going to pick out my favourite Brian Clough quote, and this is, he said this after he received a liver transplant. So he said, just to put everyone's mind at rest, I'd like to stress that they didn't give me George Best's old liver. <laughs> he had that already. Yeah, with, with an yeah, honourable mention to where uh, they say Rome wasn't built in a day, but I wasn't on that particular job. <laughs> Top work. Uh, Scott, have you got a particular favourite? Yeah, I just I, I like this quote because it's uh, it's a bit of arrogance, a bit of charisma, and it's all Brian Clough, and he says, "Ah, yes, Frank Sinatra, he met me once, you know." I love that one. Yeah, that's beautiful. That is absolute top class, uh, Carl. I've got one that probably not many people know of, but it was a great. It just shows you Clough's man management as well of his players. Was when um, Forest were going to play Hamburg in the champ in the uh, what we call the champion European Cup back then, Champions League now, but and they like had that. a real good fullback <laughs> in the day called Manny Courts. But Clough just went on air and just basically said, well, "We've got a little fat lad in the name of John Robinson who's going to tear him apart." <laughs> and who scored the winning goal in that game for Forrest? And that just summed Clough up in one, really. You know, the man management there just to build that player up and not another another team's player was brilliant. And Danny, have you got a particular favourite? Um, yeah, um, on, on, on being the Messiah or being the best, um, the River Trent is l- is, is lovely. Uh, I know because I've walked on it for eighteen years now. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's not the Messiah. He was a very naughty boy. He was a good character. Tough class. What was the What was the other one? He said, uh, "Well, I wouldn't say I was the best manager ever, but I was in the top one." Yeah, yeah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. they're all ones that I think people need to go and just. Have them in your back pocket, you know, you can kind of pull oh, those ones out at any time. So uh, do check that those ones out and uh, you can scroll down through all the other pages of quotes uh, on the website as well. And uh, just before we go to the uh, JT Award for Massive Prick of the Week, um, a lot of teams and a lot of sites and a lot of uh, newspapers are going through their all-time Premier League 11s, what with it being the 25th anniversary of the Premier League. Let's start with goalkeepers. I think we can go through the squad maybe as the weeks go on, but Peter, who do you think was the outstanding goalkeeper in the Premier League era? John O'Shea made a great cameo against Spurs, I remember. <laughs> I don't know if I put him in there. Well, I was going to put Kane in this lot for his... Yeah. <laughs> ah, well, he was, he he was, was brutal. He threw the ball into the net. Now, that he just wanted his fall for the game. <laughs> uh, now, for, in terms of Premier League goalkeeper, there's only uh, this man has won a lot in his career, and I'm sure being my nomination on the PS Football podcast is right up there. There's only one man, Peter Schmeichel, uh, the definition of the nine point goalkeeper in my eyes. Absolutely top class. For me, top best Premier League 11. I'll have him in as the number one all day long. Pretty hard to top that one, Scott. Have you got anything? Um, I was thinking of Massimo Taibbi's replacement, but <laughs> you, you, 
you can't you can't look past the uh, the giant Dane. He was superb. Uh, the, the only the closest keeper that comes to him, in my opinion is probably Petacek, but no, there's it's the best keeper playing the division. Um, easily Petacek, Michael. Carl. Well, I'd have to throw Seaman in there as well. I mean, I literally don't mean I'd throw Seaman in there, but, <laughs> you know, but David Seaman at Arsenal, as much as I used, to, as much as we hate Arsenal, you had to say he was, you knew he would always just have a solid game against you. You know, a couple of mistakes, you know, high profile mistakes, but any goalkeeper has them. But Seaman, for his um, consistency, he has to be up there as well. But yeah, Schmeichel, again, with what he's won there, you you can't really look past him. Seaman was class, though, wasn't he? Like, he never, um, not obviously not as good as Schmeichel, but it's like he never dived. He was one of them goalkeepers he'd come off with. Uh, yeah, just with so no mud on his kit, wasn't he? You know what I mean? He was just as, he just uh, efficient. Just did yeah, exactly just knew what he, what he was do. doing. And that, that save again in the FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United, where he basically claws it from literally just being over the line. A great goalkeeper. Danny, can we get a clean sweep? Uh, it's got to be Mike Hooper for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't look right. No, it's got to be, it's got to be uh, Schmeichel. Uh, if you just look at all all the great keepers around now, the Neuers and all that, just just the way keepers come out and spread themselves. He's, I think he actually brought goalkeeper to another level. I think some keepers they used to, remember you see footage of keepers back in the 60s where they wouldn't even bother diving down, you know what I mean? Like they just, the ball would go into the corner and they just going to be standing there and they were thin and kind of just like normal footballers. He just brought a bigger goalkeeper in, into play, I think, and they spread themselves and I think he's brought them to another level and uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I think in my lifetime for five or six years he's the, he's the greatest goalkeeper I've ever seen four to four for Peter Schmeichel so uh, we welcome him into the PS Football 11 and uh, I think probably as we go through the rest of the team it might get a little bit more contentious but I think it's hard to look beyond him uh, what about this one then the JT award for prick of the week who's it going to be Peter um, it has to be I don't know if any of you saw this guy's own goal during the week Jeffrey Kondogbia. Have you seen was, that? Was this in the Milan's own yeah, goal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horror show. Five-yard uh, own goal. Loved his own goalkeeper. All he had to do, it was under no pressure, all he had to do was play a simple back pass and he's just hoofed it right up into the air and over um, and over his own goalkeeper into the net. What a prick. <laughs> How do you feel? Oh, I'm struggling. Um, I, I, I can only... Copy. I'm like Peter's echo chamber at the moment. Keep your hands off my prick. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be throwing Seaman back in here in a minute again if we carry on like this. Keep my head down on that one. I I, I haven't got one. I can't moan at any West Ham related things this week, and that's usually the uh, where I focus my attention. Uh, So I've got. I potentially have got two, and I can't decide who's a bigger prick. Although they're both pricks. Um, You got Conte for trying to mind game. Spurs already before a ball's been kicked. You know, why a bloke who's just won the league feels he needs to try and uh, stir the pot with us again. Um, but that is obviously just jealousy there. And when, you know, Wenger down the road for assuming that it would be okay if Sanchez left for free at the end of this season. You know, what what a joke. What, what manager would let a potential £100 million player go for free happily? That's Who's ideal. Best? It's ideal. <laughs> absolutely. Two of them, three of them, it's ideal. It's crazy. Absolutely ridiculous. I'd give it to Wenger, actually, just for that comment alone. All right, Daddy? 
Uh, I'd find it hard to argue with that. I never thought about that. I kind of wish I had now. But uh, I've gone for Mourinho and just him being a hypocrite uh, over the state of the transfer market. Uh, I actually mentioned earlier on in the show, but coming from the man who spent more money on players than any other manager ever, uh, and the fact that he's an absolute prick helps as well. So uh, <laughs> and I know there's a couple of United fans in this, so I don't think I'll win the vote. But uh, yeah, it's fucking Mourinho. Everyone hates Mourinho, no? Even United fans secretly hate Mourinho. I have a mate. He's a big United fan and has stopped supporting. And he's big, goes over a lot, has stopped supporting him until he's gone. Until he wins a league this year. No, 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 he's not one of those. He's not even one of those. No, he kind of cares about the history and the ethos and all that sort of bullshit that I don't care about anymore because I'm hungry enough. I just want to win a fucking league. (laughs) (laughs) Robert Farmer, probably have to do. Um, I'm in a more desperate state than most of you lads. I'm going to well, go. Believe me, not me. Sorry. I don't know about that. Carl was lobbing semen there a while ago. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with the Sunderland fan who posted the video of uh, of uh, poor old Darren Gibson up online. I think actually he had a fair point. I mean, fair enough. He shouldn't have been out there. This is Darren Gibson. Shouldn't have been out there in a pub after losing five nil, slagging off his teammates. He could be himself up for a prick of the week. But it's the fan who's kind of going in there, knows what he's doing. He's got the video. It's up there. He's going to be in trouble, Gibson, now. And uh, I think that's a bit of a prick move, to be honest. Yeah, I can agree more on that. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that supporters want players to interact with them yeah. a little bit more. And yeah. then they wonder why they won't after yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, he was know. in a hotel as well. Huh? It, it was, it, I, think, I think a lot of the players tend to stay in the hotel bars now. So, yeah, they, they knew what they were doing, um, definitely. Um, yeah. And you, you're right, Carl. It's you know sometimes players get a get a bad rap for being ignorant to the public and all, but they just can't trust people anymore. Yeah, Anyone has right. a camera phone, you know. Yeah, it's madness, isn't it? You you want to talk to these players, but then now you'd have no problem with a player saying to you, "Listen, I'm sorry, I'm not giving you nothing because I don't want to be splashed all over social media and the papers." Tomorrow, if I say one wrong thing, yeah. <laughs> but no, that's ludicrous. I mean, these, you know, some people have got to realise what they're doing. You know, as you said, the the worst thing he's done is drinking at this point of the season for them. You know, that that was stupid. But so we yeah, madness. We sound Sunderland to turning into alcoholism because how shit they are. I had to laugh today because I think I heard something on the radio. I think it was. Um, Michael Gray, I think, was talking on Talk Sport today, and he made a comment about Wes Brown, saying that Wes Brown said at United, after they lost a the game, none of the players would go out and have a drink. They'd just go home and think about it and look to the next game to make amends, where as soon as he got to Sunderland, they were out drinking no matter what the no matter <laughs> what the result was. And it kind of shows you the level of professionalism, doesn't it? It's like United winning things, Sunderland dropping like a stone. <laughs> maybe maybe there's something in that, you know. But, yeah, ludicrous, isn't it? I'd say Peter Reid didn't help, you know what I mean? That's <laughs> fair as well. <laughs> yeah. the charge, you know? <laughs> All right, lads, let's wrap it up. Who's our uh, JT Prick of the Week? Yeah, I'll go for yeah. your fan. I'll go for your Sunderland yeah, fan. Right, yeah, let's well, go yeah. the Sunderland yeah, fan. Yeah. Let's welcome yeah. that guy in. That guy yeah, is yeah. He's a massive prick. Well done. <laughs> right, guys, thanks so much. And, uh, well, just time to say a big thanks to Peter. Cheers. Scott. See you next week. Thanks, lads. See you later. Cheers, guys. See you next week. And Danny. Thanks a million, lads. Thanks for having me. Fair play. Bye from me. We'll see you next week.
And that's it. Thanks for listening to the PS Football Podcast. We'll be back again next Wednesday. And in the meantime, if you want to get more great football content from us, check out our website, psfootball.net. Find us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at underscore PS underscore football and on Instagram at PS Football. That's football with a U. You can also listen to episode one on SoundCloud and why not subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and then you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, please rate, comment and share the podcast as it will really help us to reach more people and it only takes a second. It'll make all the difference. That's it. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.